It's really nice to be with you, actually. Um, as Steve said, you'll normally find me hanging out in Wellingborough or on Friday. I'm just going to plug this shamelessly. One Friday a month, the upper room here, it's our, it's our boiler room. And if you've not been, I thoroughly commend it to you because it's amazing. Okay, as Steve said, we're continuing um, talking Jesus, and we're going to dig a little bit into sharing your story. I'm going to pray, if that's all right. It's always a good thing to do, isn't it? Start with prayer. Um, Lord Jesus, when two or more gather in your name, you promised you'd be with us, so uh, thank you this morning that you're already here. May my words be useful to you, and what is not of you, I pray it would just fall away. Okay, it's always good to start with the scripture in which we're anchored. This morning. So now's the time to get out your. I've just noticed I talk really quickly when I'm a little bit nervous. So if somebody wants to flap at me, if I'm going a little bit too fast, I won't be offended. Um, If you've got a Bible, paper, or electronic, now's the time to get it out. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, the verse will appear on the screens behind me. Let's have our Bible reading. you got a Bible reading for me? It's coming. There we go. Thank you. Mark chapter 5 verse 20 tells us, so he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. It's a short reading, right? But hopefully over the next half an hour or so, that's all going to become really clear. Um, If you want to keep your finger on that page or just have, I don't want you to drain your battery while you're at church, but if you want to keep it handy, we're going to come back to it as we go through this morning's session. This morning we're talking about um, stories, and very quickly, this weekend's a bit of an anniversary for me. Two years ago, I just got back from my summer holiday in Cornwall, and I had been praying very specifically, God, is it all right for me to be at Central Vineyard? Can you speak, <clears throat> excuse me, really clearly to answer this prayer. And the background to that is, I I was desperate to stay in church, um, but it was becoming harder and harder to stay where I was. So I was praying, God, I want to be at Central Vineyard, but I don't want to run away from something if you're asking me to stay and make it right. So on August the 13th, 2017, I got myself a coffee and I sat over there, excuse me, and the songs were songs from when I was confirmed about 15 years ago, which was slightly unusual for the vineyard. And then I had a prophetic word, which was really precise. And then Tammy gave a prophetic word that was word for word, uh, one that I'd been given by two different people. So I thought, okay, God, I think you might be answering this prayer, that it's all right for me to be here and you're here and it's okay. And then a lovely lady called Margaret stood up and told her story of how she had been in the Church of England, come to the vineyard and never left. And I sat kind of stunned on my chair over there. I said, all right, God, I know I asked you to speak powerfully, but I think you might be showing off a little bit. Um, The result of that was I felt welcomed to a church that loved me back to life. I was hurting. I was desperately hurting. And I desperately wanted to stay in church at the same time. And I came to Central Vineyard, and they met me with generosity, with grace, with mercy, and with love. And... They met me where I was, but didn't leave me there. I say that story because it's my two-year anniversary of coming to the vineyard, and maybe somebody else this morning needs to hear that um, it's a safe place, it's a good place, it's okay to be here. Just a short story, just to show off, you know, sharing your story this morning. Okay, can I have my next slide, please? 
anyone read any Harry Potter? <laughs> I love it. I love the enthusiasm. It's all right. Don't, I'm not going to give you the theological rights and wrongs of reading Harry Potter. Don't worry. However, however, um, Harry Potter's creator, J.K. Rowling, said this. There's always room for a story that can transport people to another place. I love that. There's always room for a story that can transport people to another place. As human beings, we relate to stories. Science has proven that we're hardwired to connect to stories. Your brain is split in two, and on the left-hand side, we love logic and data and facts and spreadsheets and PowerPoint slides that look really nice. And on the right-hand side, we love emotions, feelings, memories, and stories. And for the most part, when we engage with a story, it's the right-hand side of our brain that lights up, gets really excited. And history proves that out as well, with um, right from early civilization, cavemen painting their stories on walls, to Egyptians leaving their stories with hieroglyphs, to the modern day with your little bubble on the left-hand corner of your social media with your story in it, click on it and tell a story to reality TV, to blog posts, to... We love stories, don't we? And not just good stories, but bad stories. So uh, I was catching up with a friend at Christmas time, and he said to me, I had a day out in London with my wife. I've had a lovely day. I've got to tell you this. And my anticipation for this story started to build, and I got quite excited. And he said, we're in Lendenhall Market. And I'm thinking, yeah, I can picture that. I used to work near there. He said, no, I was just thinking about this guy that I used to work with X number of years ago. And I'm thinking, and you can feel the anticipation rising. I love where this is going. Are we heading somewhere with this story? And he says, I was just wondering how he was. And do you know what happened, Deborah? And I said, no, what happened? <laughs> and he said, he walked right in front of me. There he was. And I was starting to get really excited. So I was like, great, where is this divine appointment? Are you going to catch up with this guy you've not seen for years? Are you going to rekindle a friendship? So I said to him, and, and, and he said, nothing, mate, I'm socially awkward. <laughs> nothing happened. <laughs> and I did, ex I burst out laughing, and he said, that's not a very good story, is it? And I was like, no, but I'm now going to tease you until the end of time about what a terrible story that is. We remember stories, right? Even, even the ones that we think they're going to take us somewhere, and then they don't. We're kind of hardwired for stories, stories that take us somewhere, stories that make us ask questions. Stories that give us answers to questions. A good story will send you off somewhere other than where you are in that moment. And we all kind of need that, don't we? Sometimes we all just need to go somewhere else. Our Bible's full of stories, all pointing in the same direction, all pointing towards that garden city, all pointing towards eternity with Jesus. I love that. And we've all got our favourite Bible stories, whether it's Elisha and the widow's son, or Gideon down in the wine press, or a story that Jesus told, the prodigal son the lost sheep, or my own favourite in Matthew 20. God made us to engage with stories, and I really love that. I've got some good news as well. Can I have my next slide, please? Inside each of us is a natural-born storyteller waiting to be released. Hands up if you just curled up on the inside and thought, that's not good news. I want to tell my story. Introverts of the world unite together alone without talking to anyone, right? <laughs> I say that as an introvert, I'm going to cover that later. This morning I want to cover three points. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully this morning you're going to leave emboldened and encouraged to share your story. If you're not a follower of Jesus, hopefully you'll just gain a bit of insight into why we want to share our stories with you. So my first point is this. Um, I'm ready for my next slide. 
recognize the power of your own story. When something good happens in your life, you want to share it with the people around you, don't you? Whether it's your football team not getting hammered. I'm not a football fan. I don't really understand how it works. Maybe your football team wins something regularly. I I don't know. Better still, whether there's been an engagement, a marriage, a birth, a new house, a new job. When we have good news, we kind of want to share our story with the people around us, don't we? We want to tell people. We want to share our good news. And as someone who calls herself a disciple of Jesus, I love to hear stories of God at work in the lives around me too. I'm just going to share a couple of examples with you. I love it when my friend Stephen turned up to Alpha, on the Alpha course five years ago because he wanted to refute this man-made system designed to oppress the masses. <laughs> Week five, I'm sitting on the couch in the Alpha room you know, how are you, Stephen? How's your week been? And he looked at me with his cross little face. <sighs> he said, I'm out of excuses. <laughs> What's up, Stephen? <laughs> I can't deny this might be real anymore. I think I've got to call myself a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> when I hear a story like that with my friend Stephen, who was so determined it wasn't real, it gives me faith and hope that God can break in to even the, the firmest non-believer When I heard from my friend Elsa that her son, born prematurely at 24 weeks, was going home a week after his due date in good health, we fought on our knees in prayer for her pregnancy and for her baby. It builds my hope, builds my faith that God can break in and heal. And finally, when I heard two weeks ago my friend Ziggy, she'd been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and she'd asked us to pray for her, and she was due to have an operation. She sent a message two weeks ago saying she no longer needed an operation and the only treatment that she had received was prayer. When I hear a story of God at work like that in the lives around me, it builds my faith that God can work like that in my life and your life and my neighbours' lives and the lives around me. And you can check all of those people. You can check out those stories for yourself. I'm not just standing here spinning a yarn. You can't say to Elsa, hey, Elsa, that's a great story about your son, but do you know what? Somebody just wrote that as part of a system to oppress the masses, because else would be like, well, I was there, I lived it. That's not true. It's the power of her story because she lived it, and it's the same for you. We can lose sight too easily of what a gift our story can be to somebody else. When we tell our story of how God broke into our lives, then God takes that and he breaks into other people's lives too. We can't always see it there and then, but sometimes telling your story is sowing a seed in somebody else's life. If we go back to our reading for a moment, Mark 5, chapter 20. So he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. He went away and began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. Who is this guy? Who is this he? Well, this is the guy that lived among the tombs in chains, absolutely beleaguered by a thousand spirits called Legion. Completely insensible, Jesus approaches him and sends his unclean spirit into a herd of pigs, and the pigs charge off the hillside. The poor, tormented man finds himself in his right mind and massively relieved. And his next question is a natural question, isn't it? Jesus, can I come with you? Jesus, can I come with you? And Jesus says, and this is the surprising bit, he says, no. No, don't come with me. Go and tell what happened. excuse me, which he does. He goes to the Decapolis, which is the 10-city area. It's not a village. It's a big old urban sprawl. 
2,000 years ago. And not only does the man who's been released go and tell what happened, so do all the people who were there, so do all the, the shepherds and all the people who are tending their flocks and everybody who saw this, they go and tell of what Jesus has done. When I tell a story of what Jesus has done for me, a way that he's been at work in my life, and what that means to you as a listener is that he can be at work in your life too. Testimony builds faith. If God can give me purpose, if God can give me peace, if God can give me hope, then he can do that for you. He can do it for my neighbour. He can do it for the person on the bus. He can do it for the person in the coffee queue. He can do it for the person I work with, the person at the gym, the person at the swimming pool, the person at my dog walk, the person in the supermarket. The best story I can tell you is my story. And it's the same for you. The best story that you can tell is your story. Because that's the one that's really, really powerful. Now, I've addressed kind of the introverts in the room, and I'm just, let's, let's tarry with the introverts for a little while, because, you know, extroverts kind of are okay talking to people. But let's talk to the introverts. Um, if I could have my second uh, point, please. Be prepared to tell your story. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter's telling us how and when to tell our story. How do we do it? We do it with gentleness and respect. When do we do it? We always be prepared. Is anybody in the scouts? Always be prepared. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you weren't. What we do, it doesn't matter if you weren't. Think of two or three times when you know that Jesus was close to you. They're not always going to be good times, okay? Think of two or three times when Jesus was close to you. Here's the situation. I prayed, and this is what happened. My friend said, bless you, to a stranger in a supermarket on holiday. I love this story. She's looking for fruit and veg on holiday. This lady sneezes, and she says, bless you. And the lady says, this hay fever is terrible. And my friend says, let me tell you, I had hay fever. I prayed, and it was healed. Really, really simple. And she ended up sharing the story with the stranger and then carrying on with her shopping. We can take those opportunities when we see them, everyday opportunities. We can pray for them too if, if we're of a mind. And we don't have to give our whole life story all coiled up, ready to go. We can have in mind examples that are relatively simple, relatively quick and straightforward. I can almost feel people in the room curling up going, I just don't want to do that. I'm never going to say that in a supermarket. And you might be thinking, you know what, it's all right for Deborah. She's up there with a microphone on, and I'm pretty sure she talks to everybody. And my daughter will stick her hand up, nod sage, and say, yeah. <laughs> Mom talks to everybody. So I'm just going to share another story. Um, I'm actually an introvert, if you're interested. My Myers-Briggs type is INFJ, which means peopling is a little bit of work for me. Um, I recharge by being alone. I feel things very deeply, and I like to be organized, so kind of... The idea of shanghaiing somebody in a supermarket makes me go, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> About six years ago, Mr. Hicks and I were ministering to another church, a church weekend away over on the coast in Norfolk. And so we were organised, we had some teaching, and we'd spent the whole day being on teaching a prayer ministry. And Mr. Hicks, who's very good to me, had booked an hour's massage in the evening before dinner. The idea of laying in a dark room with my face in a hole trying not to snore, it was perfect. It sounds weird when you say it like that, doesn't it? 
But I was like, this is, I'm just going to get to the end of the day, and I'm just going to lay down and just shh. Well, I think it had been a slow day in the spa that day because my lady came in, and I'm laying there like, yeah, don't, don't snore too loud, just, just chill. Is it your first time here? Yeah. <laughs> Are you here visiting family? No. I'm not being very holy at this point because I'm a little bit tired. I'm thinking she's going to sense the tone, right? No. What brings you here then? I'm thinking a massage. <laughs> I said, I'm here with the church group. To which she replied, bless her. She said, have you always been religious? Don't, please don't ask me. I'm not religious. And I don't want to give you a lecture on grace. So I kind of, I girded myself a little bit and I said, I said, no, I haven't. I said, would you like to hear the story? Surrendering my hours quiet time. And she said, yeah. I was like, okay. I said, do you want the long version or the short version? And she goes, oh yeah, let's do the long version. What is up with that? What is up with that? So I told her. I told, in all seriousness, I, I told her of an angry young woman who'd grown up from an interrupted childhood, littered with poverty, loss and trauma. I told her how I came to faith after two years, how I got out of bed in a hotel room in Milan one night in April 2004 and just surrendered said, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. I think you're in and I think you probably do a better job than I'm doing. I told her how my faith wasn't a magic pill. It didn't make everything suddenly magically better. I told her about losing our first child. I told her about my battles with my mental health. And I said to this, this lady who had asked for the long version, I said, um, my faith is the lens through which I make sense of life. I can't imagine a life lived without Jesus. Now, in hindsight, I could have given her a short version or had a specific example to hand. Uh, instead, what she got was a reasonably comprehensive biography, and I didn't get to lay down <laughs> in a dark room for an hour being quiet. Um, hopefully, though, I planted a seed. I took the opportunity. God knows, I've never seen this lady since. God knows what he did with that story. And maybe I'll find out one day. Maybe I won't. It would have been really easy to say, do you know what, miss? I'm really tired. I just don't want to talk to you. Because I was never going to see her again. But because I was never going to see her again, it's also really, really easy to tell her my story. I'm not, it's so unlikely I'm ever going to be back in that hotel. And if I am, it's so unlikely that I'm going to have a massage. Not because of her. <laughs> but, and if I do, it's really unlikely that she'll be the same lady. And you'll be relieved to know I did lay down on my bed for an hour before dinner, so I was able to then go and people over dinner. So if you're an introvert and you're thinking, yeah, it's still all right for her... Um, I've got five pointers that I want to take you through to help you be prepared. They're kind of five Bs, if you like, and they're going to build on the screen behind me. So my first B is this. Be clear about your story. Is it a highlight or is it a low light? Sometimes those stories of our tough times provide the navigation for somebody else in a tough time. Where I used to work, we had a service every week called Devo's. And a couple of times, some really young widows stood up and told their story of losing their husband. It's a tough start to a Wednesday morning, but listening to how God was faithful to them, listening to the hope that they had, really, really built hope and faith in the people listening to them. So be clear about your story. Is it a highlight? Is it a low light? What did God do and what was the impact of that? Okay, number two. Be short. 
Teacher, teach thyself, okay? Be sure in your story. Don't do what I did that time. Think three or four minutes maximum. Think that the person you're talking to is holding an invisible toddler. Anybody here ever tried to hold a toddler for more than three or four minutes? It's generally how long you've got before the toddler needs your attention. Okay. So if you want to know what three or four minutes feels like, if you were to write down your story, it's about three to 400 words. Helps you prepare your story if you write it down. If the person that you're speaking to, holding their invisible toddler, asks a question, then you get another three or four minutes. And so on and so on. Okay, my next point, point three. My next B. Be listening. So just like I gave that lady, that poor massage lady, uh, a, probably a 40-minute soliloquy on how I'd come to faith... I didn't really allow her to ask me any questions. So be listening. Make time for questions. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue. And your conversation needs to point to Jesus and allow for questions and and just try and be able to answer them. Excuse me. Number four. Be authentic with your story. Tell your real story. Tell your real life. I know reality TV is massive, isn't it? Real Housewives of wherever isn't really the real Housewives of anywhere. right? Love Island isn't really Love Island. It's so massively produced, isn't it? Any of those reality programs are not really real. And we know when we're having the wall pulled over our eyes. So tell your real story. Tell your real story. Which brings me to point five which is this, be prepared to be vulnerable. I don't mean sobbing over strangers, right? That's that's not going to go well. (laughs) And it's all right to not have all the answers. We're merchants of hope, okay? We're selling the hope that we have. We're not even selling, we're just telling of the hope that we have in Jesus. So it's all right to not have all the answers. It's all right to not have a neatly boxed, well-codified answer as to why did this happen or what happened. Sharing our story is about being in the business of sharing our hope. In John chapter 9, verses 8 to 25, Jesus heals a blind man. So I'm going to remind you. You can flick to it if you want to. And again, in Mark chapter, as in Mark chapter 5, there's, there's so many witnesses to this healing. This is the blind man. And Jesus makes some mud, wipes it on his eyes, and then tells him to wash it off. And then he can see again. excuse me, the Pharisees investigate investigate the particular healing and and everybody keeps asking, how did this happen? How did this happen? Is this the same guy? He kind of looks like him. Is this actually the blind guy? Did this really happen? How did this happen? What's going on? And I kind of, I love this story. They get his parents in. They get a load of witnesses in because they're all just, they're all really baffled. He was blind. Jesus healed him. Now he's not blind. And I love, I love that just, can somebody help us understand what happened? When you read it, the Pharisees are not terribly happy. They get his parents and they go, is this really your son? Was he really actually blind? And they're a bit nervous of the Pharisees. They don't want to get on the wrong side. So they go, do you know what? He, he's kind of old enough. Why don't you ask him? <laughs> so they go, right, you have to give glory to God. You've got to tell us the truth. What's your story? And he just tells it very, very simply, very authentically, very vulnerably. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. One thing I know, I was blind, Jesus came and now I see. 
He tells his story really simply and authentically, just like our man in Mark 5 at the beginning. It was like this. Jesus did this. Now it's like that. Can't argue with that, can you? So we've covered two of our points. We've covered recognize the power of your own story and prepare to tell your story. And it's time to move on to my final point. My first two points were kind of about what you can do to be prepared to make it a little bit easier to share your story. And the third point, if you're still sitting here thinking, it's all making sense, but I'm really still not sure I'm going to go do this. My third point should bring you a little bit of light relief. We are God's plan for sharing his hope in the world. There There isn't a plan B. Somebody else is not going to do it if we don't do it. The good news when I say that, though, is we're not on our own. We're not on our own. We work in partnership with Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. So my third point is this. Number three, tell your story with faith and with confidence. I've shared a lot of examples this morning. I've rattled through quite a lot of stories. The purpose of sharing them has not been to intimidate or overwhelm you, but actually to encourage you that, you know, it's it's possible to do it. It's possible to do it easily and well. Um, Way back in the introductory talk, there was a scale of never talking about Jesus to never stop talking about Jesus. It'd be amazing to move up from the never talking about Jesus towards the talking about Jesus more end of the scale. When you tell your story, you're not on your own. Okay. It's all right to breathe out at this point. When you tell your story of what God has done, Your story is like a little ember sitting inside you, and it's kind of glowing. And as you start to tell that story, the Holy Spirit's dialing up in you. And I can promise you this. When you operate in your gifts of the Spirit, even one as simple as telling your story, the Holy Spirit dials up in the other person. You've got one job, message sent. Okay, when you start telling your story, the Holy Holy Spirit will start to blow on that, and that story's going to catch fire, and the other person's going to receive it because the Holy Spirit is dialing up in that person. Okay, it's not on you. All you have to do is recognize the power of your story, be prepared, and then start talking. And the Holy Spirit's going to stand in the middle of that power gap. Okay? It's going to come and breathe on that story. It's going to catch light in you, and it's going to catch light in the other person. And God's going to do what he's going to do in that person. When that happens, you, you just ride the wave of the Holy Spirit. It's not on you. Okay? If you're particularly British or introverted, it's like we don't talk on the tube, do we? Except I probably have spoken to many people on the tube and given them notes, because God saves us even, I'm never going to see them again. (laughs) Hopefully. That'd be really embarrassing, wouldn't it? It's not on you. So what you can do is you can practice and prepare your story. Okay, have two or three examples. Practice sharing them. It's going to feel really awkward. Sharing them with two or three people that you trust. Okay, when you don't have confidence in something, the quickest way to overcome that fear of doing it, the quickest way to build confidence is to have a go. Okay? Don't want to tell your story because you're scared? Go and tell your story. Talk to somebody you trust and, and get them to tell you, how was that? Have a go. The Holy Spirit's going to join. It's going to be amazing. We tell our story with faith because it's hope that we're sharing with gentleness and respect not selling answers. There's no plan B. So my prayer this morning is that we're going to leave here kind of feeling encouraged to trade in our hope, ready to swap our stories with the people of Northampton, 
people that we work with. If you're here from one of our other sites, Wellingborough Rawns or Kettering, go share it with the people over there too, on the bus, in your coffee queue, at work, at the gym, at the pool, on your dog walk, where you live, where you go to school, where you get your nails done, where you get your hair done, where you get a massage. It's not a prescriptive list, by the way. My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit is going to dial up in us and those around us. So actually that we raise the spiritual atmosphere and we share the hope that we have. Because it's our stories that people can't argue with this morning. It's our, it's our story that's going to share the hope. So my prayer is that we're going to do that. Um, if you feel able to, let's do some business with God, shall we? If you'd like to stand...